And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He, this man, lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising or cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran... And fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him, that is Legion, this demon that was speaking and this demon begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country these demons that had inhabited this man now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they these demons begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them so he jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and he entered the pigs the herd numbering about 2,000. Those pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see, see it, what was that that happened? And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus, these people, the townspeople, to depart, get, leave from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, begged Jesus that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this man went away and began to proclaim, to tell in the Decapolis, that's these ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful, accurate, and true word. Lord, I pray that this morning that, Lord, we will be amazed at your power, even over those that seem to be the most unreachable. And we also will be amazed at your mercy, that we ourselves were unreachable at one time, but you, Jesus, had mercy on us. Lord, convict us by your word. Conform us to your word. Convince us that this is truth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. This was a real situation. This isn't a make-believe story. This is a real historical account, a real story that happened. But it's there in Scripture for us to give a, some, some timeless connection, regardless of the generations that were to come. There's, there's so much that we can see in here to the work of the gospel and the work of Christ. It's a picture of individuals that are outside, that are lost, without hope, and what Jesus can do to change their lives. And there's three areas I want us to look at this morning as we just briefly unpack this very clear story, this wonderful story of the transforming power of Christ. Notice with me in verses 1 through 4, this miserable soul. He was a miserable soul. Here was this man living in the tombs. That's the graveyard. And it wasn't a nice manicured graveyard. It was a place in which people dumped dead bodies. Uh, here was a man who was demented. He, he could have been a, uh, a candidate for the, uh, the insane asylum. He was somebody that later on in the passage of verse 19, when Jesus said, go home, he had a home. I could just imagine his, his family, his friends that we don't talk about daddy anymore. Where's your dad? Well, we don't talk, because he is so far out there, he's an embarrassment, he's unreachable, he's caused so much turmoil, and we've just kind of written him off. The Bible tells us, as I said earlier, that the devil is real. I admit, quoted it, but I'll read you the, uh, give you the address, 1 Peter 5.8, where Peter says that your adversary, the devil, do you realize you have an adversary? That we have an adversary, we have an enemy? Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.4 that Satan masquerades himself or, or, or imitates an angel of light. That is that one of the uh, uh, methods is that Satan purports to be helpful. And he helps to be, uh, hopes to be a, 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 an aid to your soul. But he masquerades as an angel of light, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.14. He gives the appearance. But the Bible also says that there were demons. Not only is there a devil, but there are demons. And that's what we see here. This is not an encounter with Satan. We saw that back in chapter 1. But this is an encounter with demons. And these demons are many. Uh, verse five, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, says that when they saw Jesus, what did they do? It says they cried out. It didn't mean they started weeping, but the Greek word there is that they were shrieking with a scream. You ever heard somebody give a blood-curdling scream, scare the daylights out of you? Uh, that's that's, the, that's the, the word, the imagery there is that these demons were shrieking because the last person that they wanted to see or an encounter was Jesus. The New Revised Standard Version says that this man shouted at the top of his voice, and Jesus asked them the name, and they gave the name Legion. A legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers, and that was the name of this identity of this demon that would suggest not necessarily there's exactly 6,000, but this man is filled with multiple demons that he is possessed by. The soldiers of Satan were trampling his heart. And one preacher said the troops of terror 
were occupying his life. This man was demented. He was dead. The Bible gives a picture. It says that he was gashing himself with stones, the New American Standard says. He was cutting himself. He was, he was out of his mind. You know, when, when a person is not walking in the light of Christ and they are under the control of Satan, maybe because of choices and things that they have done that have aggravated and accelerated this, this presence of demonic activity in their life. It is sad, just like that picture I told you about of this, this couple overdosed in their minivan. Some of you may have children and relatives that their behavior has become out of control, that in many ways they are socially dead because of their allowance of Satan to come into their life and control, tear up their families, tear up their lives, lose their jobs. He's living where? Among the dead in the tombs. He's living among the dead, rotting bodies. And he calls that his home. It says he dwelt there. He settled there. There's people all around us that are living among the dead. There's no life. There's no grace. There's no light of Christ. And yet, they are content and happy. Have you ever known somebody? I've known people. had people in my family that they're living In the tombs, they're living in death. But because they have become so familiar with it, it has become home to them. They cannot even imagine life outside of the graveyard, outside of the cemetery. This this man's place of living reflected the condition of his heart. He was dead Romans 5 reminds us about how death entered to all men. We are the walking dead. It's not a TV show. Anybody outside of Christ is walking dead. Ephesians 2, 1, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses, our sins. He was demented. He was dead. But verses 3 and 4 reminds us that he was defeated. I don't think there was any hope in this man's life. I don't think he was looking for a ray of sunshine. I don't think he was waiting for, the, for the, uh, uh, the lottery. I don't think he was waiting for the publisher's clearinghouse to come and knock on his tomb. I think this man was totally, totally without hope. And it says that the shrieking and the crying, it says in verse 3 and 4, they tried to bind him with chains. But how well did that work? Didn't work. He'd break them. This man is, is out of control and under the control of these demons. Luke and Matthew give a parallel story of this same account, and they have some details that Mark doesn't. Luke says in 827 that he, wasn't, he didn't have any clothing on for a long time. Matthew says that he was so violent that no one could even pass by the road. Stay away from there. Don't go by there. And can you imagine at night, if you lived around in that area, to be able to hear the screams of this tormented man that was demented, dead, and defeated? Well, guys, we have people all around us. May not be that dramatic. May not hear the screams like this man. But we live around people all around us that live defeated, dead lives. People's lives who have been ravaged and destroyed 
because of sin. Not only was he a miserable soul, but secondly, wonderful good news is it gives us attention of a mighty Savior, verses 5 through 15. It would be a hopeless situation, but the good news is, is that Jesus is on the scene. Jesus is on the scene. The Bible says the disciples and Jesus got off of this boat. Now, remember what happened a couple of weeks ago. We looked at this. What happened previous at the end of chapter 4? What were they doing? They were in this boat, and they faced that mighty storm that they thought they all were going to die. Do you think their nerves were a little shot being in that boat from that night? You want a little peace? You want a little quiet? What happens? They step off the boat, and what's the first thing they encounter at night? This demon, naked man, screaming. Would that rattle you? It would rattle me if I saw him at 7-Eleven. It would rattle you, right? They got off the boat. It scared them out of their wits. But the good news is that Jesus was not hindered at all. Jesus was not afraid. Look at Jesus' perception, verse 8. What did he do? Jesus called him a man. That's really important. It says, Jesus called him a man, for he was saying to him, to the demons, come out of the man. You know, we look at people that are suffering. We look at people whose lives have been destroyed and ravaged by sin and destruction, and we forget that that is a man that is a woman, that is an image bearer of their creator. They're not a thing. They're not a statistic. They're not a social, uh, some demographic group that we want to we stay away from. That's a man. That's a woman. That man had parents. It maybe had children. It had a family. But unlike the limitations of what we can do, Jesus actually had the power to bring change to this man's life. Jesus had power. What did he tell these demons to do? Look at verse 7. And they were crying with a loud voice, and they said, what do we have to do with you, Jesus? And the Bible says, if you read, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to reread it, but they, they, they didn't want to just be sent out, but... They knew that they were not going to survive under the power and authority of Christ. And so Jesus sent him into these herd of pigs. He sent him into these herd of pigs. You know, I find it interesting that even though these were demons crying out, do you realize and recognize in verse 7 that even these demons recognize who Jesus was? They acknowledge his authority. They acknowledge his identity. Now, just having right knowledge about Jesus is insufficient. That won't save you. That won't change you. There's a lot of people that have right knowledge about who Jesus is. James chapter, was it chapter uh, 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 2, says that you believe that there's one God. Well, you do well because even the demons believe that there's one God. And they shudder. They're, they're, they're afraid. But Jesus exercises this power because I believe that these demons knew the truth of what Paul would write in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and on things of the earth and things under the earth. They knew that they would submit to the authority of Christ. This man, Legion, he did not need reformation. He needed what? He needed transformation. 
He didn't need a new program from the government. He needed a change inside and out. He needed a heart change if ever was going to be any help. Do you not think people would occasionally bring food and bring clothing and try to do what they can? No, this man needed a touch of Jesus Christ. He needed the power of Christ. He was a miserable soul who encountered a mighty Savior. And thirdly, what a story of a miraculous salvation. This is such a portrait of the saving work of Christ. This is such a portrait of what Jesus does to change our lives inside and out. Notice just a few things here, beginning at verse 15. Three elements in these verses of what Christ can do to the individual. What Christ has done for me. Hopefully what Christ has done for most of us here. Notice verse 15, how Jesus' power, this salvation, changes us. The greatest testimony, the greatest witness, the greatest gospel story is a changed life. I think of the man that Jesus healed of blindness. And you remember the, the Pharisees got all riled up about it. They were angry. And I love at one point where the man says, look, I don't know anything about anything. All I know is this. I was blind, but now I see. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. You figure it out. Salvation is a miracle. We sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not only does, did Jesus change this man. Look at verse 15. I'm getting ready to skip it. Let me just go to verse 14. The herdsmen fled. Wouldn't you kind of think they got freaked out? I mean, 2,000 pigs just minding their own business. And all of a sudden, they get 6,000 demons to fill them. Huh? And they go off into the sea and drown? Can you imagine the people that own those pigs, what they thought? You ever, you ever wonder about those little details that the Bible doesn't tell us? And what did they do when they saw that? They fled. They didn't want, I mean, this Jesus, you know, we heard about him, and he's talking, this crazy man. Next thing they know, they see their 2,000, uh, you know, pig investment go off into the ocean. And drown. But look at verse 15. They went into the town and they told what had happened. And the people in the town came out to see what had happened. Because I'm sure they knew all about this guy. I'm sure this guy was, oh, don't go out there. They knew about this guy, and they wanted to see what happened. And I love it, verse 15. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man. But Mark makes sure we recognize that he's no longer demon-possessed. The one who had had, past tense, the legion, the multiple demons, What was he doing? He was sitting there. He wasn't running around naked and screaming. He was sitting there, clothed. Must have been some Pentecostals among those disciples. They put some clothes on him. 
That was a joke. Everybody alive here? Okay, all right. Would I rather have said Baptist? Would that have made you laugh more? He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What an amazing thing. And they were all excited, it says. Is that what it says? Is that what your Bible says? It says they were afraid. You remember earlier at the end of chapter 4 when they were scared, the disciples in the boat, they thought they were going to die, and they were terrified? What happened when Jesus called the storm and there was great peace and quiet? What was the reaction to those disciples? They were, they were scared because they said, who is this man? Who is this man? Not only does Jesus change us, changes us, but also I believe implied in verse 15 is, now he controls us. That's what a change, that's what happens. This man, this former demon-possessed man, was not under the control of the devil any longer. He's under a new management system. He's under the management of Jesus Christ. Jesus is controlling him. Jesus is controlling our lives. The Bible says in Romans 8 that we as born-again believers are now controlled by the Spirit of God. Who controls you? Who controls you? There's really only two options. Either Jesus controls your life or Satan controls your life. You may not be running around naked and screaming and yelling, but whose orders and impulses are you following? This man was sitting there in his right mind clothed under the control of Jesus. That's what salvation does. Changes us, controls us. But I love verse 19. Verse 19, it commissions us, commissions us. This is, what's, this is what happens to a believer. This man, verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them happened, uh, to the demon, what would happen to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus. They, they didn't want him in the region. They wanted Jesus to get out of there. They were more interested in pigs than people, Okay? They were more concerned about pigs and swine than the fact that this man now was changed and delivered by Christ. And verse 18 says, And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons did what? Begged him to go with Jesus. Now, if being under Jesus' management, changing us, controlling us, The great evidence is, what did he want to do? He wanted to be with Jesus. The demons in the past, they didn't want to be with Jesus. The people of the city didn't want to be with Jesus. They wanted him to get out of here. But the evidence of a changed life, of a transformed life, is that we want to be with Jesus. Not only do you want to be with Jesus, I think he wanted to be one of his disciples. He wanted to be in on what Jesus was doing. I mean, he's totally changed. He's, his life is new. What did Jesus say? It said Jesus did not permit him. He didn't permit him to go with him. But I love what it says. He said, go home. He had a home. It wasn't just some crazy man living in the tombs with a bunch of dead corpses. This man had a home. Who do you think was at home? Well, it doesn't say, so we don't want to build a whole 
story in the white space. But we maybe could use a little sanctified imagination. Maybe there's a wife, children, family, friends, neighborhoods. The message paraphrase reads this way of those latter two verses. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-delivered man begged to go along. But Jesus wouldn't let him. Jesus said, go home to your own people. Tell them your story, what the master did. How he had mercy on you. And then it says, the man went back and he began to preach in the ten towns. That's what Decapolis means. There's ten villages, ten towns. He began to tell them about what Jesus had done for him. And it says, and he was the talk of the town. Can you imagine everybody that wanted to get an interview with him? They wanted to get his story and hear what Jesus had done in his life. What kind of witness and gospel advancement do you think that would have been of this man, crazy out of his mind, filled with demons, cutting himself, screaming naked, living among a bunch of dead corpses, and now he's sitting in his home, drinking his coffee, sitting with his wife, sitting with his children, Fred? Fred? Is that you, Fred? Fred, that's not you. That's his, his, Fred, is that you, Fred? No, Fred. Wow, you're different. Man, I, I, I remember when you were going through this and then you just disappeared and we heard about where you lived. What happened? What happened? Charles Swindoll says this. He kind of helps us with a little bit of imagination. He says, can you imagine how it was when old Legion got to his home village? I'm sure that wasn't his real name. The children were playing in the street. About the time somebody said, hey, Legion is coming. The streets emptied. The doors closed. Windows were bolted. And then a little boy's voice said, mama, it's daddy. And daddy's got his clothes on. His hair is combed. And the boy walked cautiously out of the house. The villagers began to ease out of their houses. And in a moment, the boy was there in his father's arms. He said, Daddy, you're different. You didn't come running in the house like you used to do, shoving Mama down and hitting her and turning the tables over and beating us up. Daddy, you're different. And then the villagers started, What happened to you? You're not the same man. You have a smile on your face. You're in your right mind. An old legion said, Dear friends, you all know how I was a wild man. But a few days ago, I met a man named Jesus. And he cast the devil out of me, these demons, and filled me with his life, with his spirit. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing what he told me, what he commissioned me to do. And I'm going to tell everybody I can about Jesus. Jesus said, go home. That's the word for us. Go home. Tell people about what wonderful things Jesus has done for you. Evidence of a changed life changes us, controls us, 
But if it isn't manifested in a desire to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for you, something's not right. There should be a desire to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Share if you would come up at this time. One of the things of this story that I find interesting that one commentator, William Barclay, tells us. In this region where Jesus got off of this boat was the eastern section of the Sea of Galilee. Most of you have maps in your Bible. You can look it up. But it was primarily a Gentile region. That's the reason they had pigs. It wasn't a Jewish village. Jewish Jews wouldn't have pigs. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. They were Greeks, primarily of culture and language. The Decapolis were these ten primarily Greek culture cities. They weren't Jews. They weren't Jewish in culture. And Jesus goes into this area. What's interesting is, you remember the leper when he was healed? Jesus told him to not tell anybody. But what does he tell this delivered non-Jew to go and tell everybody you can? Probably because, again, Jesus wasn't worried about the religious folks that were after him up in that region. William Barclay, in his commentary on Mark, suggests that this was the first conversion entrance of a man or anybody changed by Jesus Christ into, up to that point, a primarily Jewish territory. That this man's changed life in this non-Jewish part of the geography where Jesus lived and walked and lived, the commentator suggests that it was through this man that he became the first convert into this region that eventually would see the gospel advanced beyond the Jewish territory. And it all started with a man that was demon-possessed, written off, forgotten, demented, dead. And if you looked a little ahead over to Mark chapter 7 for 31 and 32, you'll see that when Jesus goes back into this region again, the town folks bring to Jesus somebody who was deaf, you think they heard or knew about this Jesus? How do you think that if he was perhaps one of the first links that eventually would see the gospel spread north and eventually into Europe and eventually even here that we are recipients as non-Jews of the gospel advancement of the world, the globalization of Christianity, that there was a significant advancement made because of the obedience of this one dead, demon-possessed man did what Jesus told him to do. Wouldn't that be fascinating if 
one day we find that confirmed, confirmed in eternity that this man did what Jesus told him to do. He didn't just go home and tell everybody. Everybody he was around, he told. And so when Jesus came back in the region, the end of verse chapter 7, and they said, you know what? That girl's been deaf. We know somebody that can change your life. We know somebody that has the power to heal her. What would happen if we took Jesus' words to go home and tell what Jesus has done? What difference could that make in the people that we might figure, you know what, they're just lost. They're just gone. What if somebody said that about you? They're just gone. There's no hope. Always hope in Christ.